Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Drew Carroll and Lee Ellis of the popular YouTube channel, Seek One. These guys are some big buck killers everywhere they go and are just plain out obsessive when it comes to whitetails. So we met at the Spartan Forge Veterans Hunt and had a good conversation surrounding our roles within the new Spartan Forge app, how history with specific deer is key, getting permission to hunt properties, mature buck tendencies, censorship and hunting media, and a lot more with quite a few laughs in between. So this podcast is brought to you by Spartan Forge and the new app utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement, including GPS data, 30 years of weather, academic and state research. The new app includes GPS mapping with incredible aerial imagery, offline dependability, deer prediction, weather updates, journal entries, and much more. You can use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20% off of the Spartan Forge app at spartanforge.ai. And make sure you go on to the website spartanforge.ai, sign up there so you can get you can save money using that coupon code, and then go to the app store and download the app and just log in with the information you created online. Tethered is a company that is founded on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting while creating the most innovative, lightweight, safe products for saddle hunting. They just launched their new Skeletor climbing sticks, and these are meant to be a budget-friendly version with a lot of the similar features of their popular one stick, but at a much lower cost. So these sticks come in, just give you a quick few highlights here. They're folding dual step designs that fold away from the tree, give you more room for your feet when you're climbing and they weigh two pounds a piece and they're only sold in four packs. So right now they are running uh, a black Friday special. It should still be live by the time you're listening to this. Um, but um, so they're $202 um, with that deal or $224.99 normally um, from that for a four pack. So just over $50 a, a climbing stick, which is obviously, like I said, a good deal for how, I guess, for how lightweight these are and using the same attachment method as the one stick. Everything about them is a pretty cool stick. I'm excited to get my hands on them. You know, all that being said, I have not got to play with them myself yet, but uh, the design and everything and how they stack looks to be pretty awesome. So excited to, to get to check those out. You can see those at tetherednation.com. And Maven Optics. So Maven is building the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. They want to create the best optics for the job, period. Their products are back with a lifetime no-fault warranty and incredible customer experience. The RS2 Ultralight Rifle Scope was designed for the all-purpose hunter and features a 2 to 10 times zoom range to cover most eastern and western hunting situations that rs2 is my recommended scope if you require just precision but you don't need all the added features of a long range scope which makes it perfect for small game eastern whitetail as west 
as well as Western big game. If you were looking for an ultralight mountain rifle setup, it only weighs 12 ounces. So it's one of the lightest all purpose scopes on the market. Used it last year, in my caribou hunt in Alaska used it for killing my biggest whitetail to date last year in Pennsylvania. And you can check all of those out at mavenbuilt.com. And if you use a coupon code East meets West dash gift, you get a free gift with any full price optics order. And Go Wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters. You can join me today to get 10 bucks to spend on gear just for setting up your account. You'll keep unlocking Go Wild rewards, and you can now see my complete gear setups under my profile. The app is does not censor anything when it comes to hunting. It's meant for hunters and anglers and just anybody that loves the outdoors to be on there. Post what you want. Everybody's there to be supportive. Uh, you can use the code East Meets West to save 10% off of all hunting gear on the website. And that includes tethered products, all the saddle hunting stuff, everything. You can get 10% off of there all time at all times by using my code East Meets West. So check that out. And yeah, with that, with that being said, uh, I guess the Pennsylvania rifle season had just opened here in PA. It was really really good uh, opening weekend for anybody that had a tag in their pocket. I mean, we had snow here in Pennsylvania and which made it easier to see. Uh, my uncle Francie cherry killed a, a big eight point that he was hunting, broke off his G2, but he was hunting that buck all archery season, had an encounter with him and ended up getting a shot of him in a three to four year old clear cut uh, opening morning. Uh, just literally stood up from his bed in some thick briars and started moving along feeding middle of the day and was able to get a shot at him. Um, my younger cousin, Dominic, got his first buck, which is a nice eight point. Um, it was just a, a really good weekend overall. And I don't remember if I'd mentioned it on, on last week's, or, you know, I wouldn't have mentioned on last week's episode cause it just happened. But my, my dad had, um, and my dad and my brother and my sister-in-law had all killed bucks out in Montana while they were hunting. My dad killed a giant muley for the area and killed that with his rifle as well as my brother killed his first mule deer buck, which is beautiful deer. And then uh, my sister-in-law went out on her own after work and killed a nice whitetail buck as well. So it's been really good uh, few weeks and just November in general here for the family and our camp and everything. And I just I hope everyone else is having a a, a good time here as well. It's a it's an awesome time of year, and I've been really spending time at you know at camp with everybody and just enjoying it here and the stories from my grandfather and and some of his buddies and and some of the older gentlemen that that come into camp i love listening to those stories so it's been it's been a good time here and uh, i'm looking forward to getting out and trying to fill a doe tag and get some more meat in the freezer here uh coming up so that's about all the the updates that i have here for for this week's episode um, I really appreciate you listening. And if you would go over to wherever you listen to it at, you know, Apple podcasts or wherever and leave a rating and a review helps out so much. Share the podcast with your friends. It, it definitely helps out. So I really hope you enjoy this episode here with Lee Andrew of seek one. We're live now. 
Okay. Drew, Lee, welcome to the show. I'm really trying to work a burp out. Hold on. <laughs> wow. Really great it's like uh, stuck great in my throat here. right now. <laughs> what is it? <clears throat> Carry on. The mix of coffee and bourbon, is that what that does? Yeah. <laughs> well, it should be interesting podcast. Yeah, yeah, it should be should be pretty good. How about every time you talk, you have to take a sip. Every time I talk. Well, yeah, hopefully then you guys just keep nobody's gonna talk. Yeah. Nobody's gonna nobody's gonna talk. Or we're gonna have to end this in about thirty minutes because it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna get uh a little bit weird at that point. But so guys, welcome to the show. Lee Ellis, Drew Carroll. Did I pronounce your last name right? You did. I did. Yeah. Right. Perfect. Thanks awesome. for having us. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool to see you guys come up to to Pennsylvania here during the during the rut. It's uh, it's a little different than what we're used to. So. Have, you, have you ever been to Pennsylvania before? No, first really? time. Yeah, first time. I, I mean, we haven't hunted anything. I guess you hunted Ohio this year. We're not too far from the Ohio line, but haven't really hunted this terrain before. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely different. Which you're not. You're just yeah. We're not even hunting. We're, we're listening to people talk about hunting it. So that's yeah. It's <laughs> a good learning experience, but. Yeah, so we're up here for the the Spartan Forge Veterans Hunt, and where we got was there three three vets that mm-hmm. had won the hunt, and there's a bunch of other vets that are here as well that are partaking in the hunt, and then a bunch of the people kind of part of the Spartan Forge team here hanging out at Johnny's Lodge, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I call it a lodge. Yeah, we honestly didn't know what to expect coming in last night because you guys have been here for what a few days yeah. before we got here. And uh, we rolled in late last night, and somehow, you know, I, you don't find the rut stash. The rut stash finds you. And within two hours of being here, somehow we all ended up with rut stashes. And well, things got a little weird, but it for, did. It, that that escalated really quickly. <laughs> Everybody, what? How? I don't know. There's like ten or eleven guys that yeah. now have rut stashes, and. I'm going to have to leave before everybody shows up if nobody kills anything because I told everybody <laughs> they're guaranteed to kill a buck today. So I don't know. There's still time. Yeah. I'm, I'm Did confident. you notice that my mustache is still darker than it was? Yeah, I do. <laughs> it it so, actually looks good. <laughs> <laughs> so a little uh, backdrop here. Uh, Bodis, I can't really grow facial hair. Uh, it's like something I've always wanted to have, but I'm 31 years old. It ain't happening. Yeah. And... uh Bo decided to draw one on my face yesterday. It's on your Instagram. Yeah. And uh, it won't really come off 100%. Like, all the, the hair that I do have, it's it's more of a blonde color. Now. It's just black now. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm, I might consider sharpening my facial hair I do have. More often? Yeah, and just kind of blending it in. Put it part, as part it of in. your routine. Kind of like a Rogaine or uh, Just for Men, you know, kind of deal. When I was driving here, I was laughing, thinking about like what you were gonna look like today with that. And then I didn't even know—I forgot about it when I got here. It's kind of—it's kind of looking now. Oh, I woke up this morning; it was still all, all over my face. <laughs> yeah, and then I spent ten minutes with soap and a rag trying to rub it off my face. But hey, we offered face paint, and you decided I mean, it was a permanent sharpie, sharpie marker. Sh- yeah, sharpie sharpie marker. Yeah, yeah, it was hundred percent permanent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Drew's Drew's pulling it off pretty pretty hard. Right? I mean, like honest, yeah. Honestly, I might keep it for a while. I would. I, it feels right. It does. I've had a rough season. Haven't killed any bucks yet. So I just I feel like this is a change, change I need. The momentum. It, 
I'm telling you, it is. It's kudos hot. to you by just like subliminally convincing everyone to market for you with this rut stash deal. Yeah. Like I didn't know this was part of your brand until after the fact. Well, you know, I didn't want to tell you that up front. <laughs> yeah. Then you'd be like, do I really want to help this guy out? I just met him, you know? Like, <laughs> and now once you kill something, then it's just going to yeah. continually snowball from there. And, That's true. And I'll probably retire about 32. So <laughs> I'll say it's, it's been cool to be in camp with these guys. Like, like I said, Drew and I came up here kind of just blindly. I mean, we, didn't bring any hunting equipment. We literally just came to hang out in camp with some of these vets and some of the Spartan Forge guys. And it's been really fun to just like kind of hang out in camp. Yeah. Uh, you know, I got to talk with some of the vets last night and some of their stories are awesome. And some of them are like experienced hunters. Some of them are just getting into it. And so we were able to kind of like, hopefully I was able to share a little bit of wisdom with, you know, some of the newer guys and I was able to learn some things from some of the older guys. And so it was, it's been pretty cool, even though we're not hunting, just to be here and, and kind of be in the environment of it all is, is, is pretty awesome. There's a there's a very cool group dynamic and just kind of thing that's happening with like the Spartan Forge crew. Yeah. So it's it's just fun to be a part of it. No, I I totally agree with that. And it's it was cool, like I mean, most of us that were here never met each other really before yesterday and stuff. The last night it was like old college buddies getting yeah. together, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that went pretty well. Yeah. No, I, I feel like I've been talking to all these guys for the last six months, like every few days. And this yeah. is the first time I've actually met anyone in person. So it's like, yeah, just kind of a, re, a reunion thing, but still the first time meeting is fun. Yeah, no, it is. It's a lot of fresh relationships. I mean, fresh relationships. We just kind of assembled this team. Um, and this is kind of the beginning of all of the, you know, the beginning of the Spartan Forge and kind of introducing it to the hunting community and things like that. And there's a sense of family. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to, you know, outside of this, doing more stuff with you guys, but, um, I, I'm kind of curious. I know we're like, we're not going to touch too much on the Spartan Forge stuff, but while it's like, while we're talking about, it, I am curious to hear your feedback on it with you using it and then us kind of using it back home. Like what your two cents are, are that you're seeing with it right now yeah so bill bill came to me it's been a year now when he first came to me with this idea and this kind of just the online version of the the prediction model and everything he's like hey try it out and see what you think and and it was already late in the season at that point and i i didn't i think i had filled my tag that next weekend so i didn't have a whole lot of hunting to be able to mess around with it but what i did do was was compare it up to some trail camera data that I was having and looking at what the prediction was saying for that stuff and then really utilize that coming into this year. And when I hear deer prediction stuff, I kind of like, like, yeah, yeah. But ha it has been incredible for me to be able to use in this, the big wood setting and be able to, I, I've been using it a lot as far as planning out my hunts on the, for my opening day, uh, buck, I killed my biggest archery buck this year and I hunted a spot where you typically wouldn't think of hunting. It's, you know, a whitetail rule as far as crick bottoms, the wind swirls and in, in these mm -hmm. types of areas. But I went in there, hunted this spot because I knew this buck was feeding in this newer clear cut. I had a kind of general idea where he was bedding out on this point and I got in between there. The, the app said it was going to be in the transition type area and opening day there i w went in and was able to to kill him he came down through the trail at 14 yards and it was uh it was pretty cool I, i've had fun messing around with with that part of it and i'm really excited for the mapping side of it that's been one of the things that i've been working a lot with just feedback as far as with 
bill and everything and seeing the the leafless imagery we're able to get you know leaf off imagery for a lot of those places so it's been it's been really cool to to be able to mess around with it and and also see it being built from the ground mm-hmm. up i think that's yeah, probably cool to be a part of yeah it, it definitely is like we're all in the slack channel together and yeah giving feedback whether yeah. it's the marketing side of things whether it's you know the app side of things so that's been pretty yeah sweet. there's <clears throat> there's definitely a lot to still be done like there's so much more to come from it yeah to be a part of that process is really cool yeah so i i just killed a deer two weeks ago uh back home in atlanta and I hunted this deer, 20-something sits, starting from basically basically opening week in September to the last week in October. And what I was noticing was I, w- I also knew a lot of information about this particular buck. I knew where his core area was, and I also knew where his kind of his rut range was, just from history with the deer. Yeah. Um, I was learning the deer last year with my trail cam. I was hunting him last year with my trail cameras, even though I wasn't hunting him. Um, or trying to kill him. And what I was noticing was in, on those predictions, they were matching up really well when, when I was, when it was a core area prediction, I was seeing him in his core area, which is where I was hunting. Yeah. And then when I was seeing those transition and full range days is when he was showing up on these, you know, what I was considering his rut range, which was, you know, sometimes two miles to the North is when he'd show up on these other cameras. So it was it was aligning with with what I was the prediction and what I was actually seeing from my cameras hunting this deer, and it was definitely a huge tool of like, you know, putting me in the right place at the right time, kind of kind of thing. So, you know, jump getting involved in it, I'm like, you know, it sounds awesome, but is the proof and like the proof's got to be in the pudding. Yeah. And so being able to like actually experience it, it's it's freaking awesome. And what Bill's done is is pretty yeah. freaking amazing. Yeah. So I think the challenge and kind of the purpose of like all of us getting together from these different backgrounds, everyone has different perspectives, yep. hunts different terrain. Bill's a super like intellectual guy, uh, data driven guy, and the rest of us are kind of like trying to figure out how to present that information in a usable way. Yeah, that's that's the challenge with it because I mean the data is irrefutable. Like it's GPS color data. It's not observation data. So you have all this uh, data from all over the. Finally got it out, wow. guys. <laughs> finally wow. got it that out. That was only. Uh, I've been choking it down uh, for like eleven 10 minutes. minutes. <laughs> 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 I lost my train of thought. So sorry. Uh, he was rolling with it too. Yeah, yeah. That was a bad <laughs> time. Stream of consciousness here. Uh, that literally like threw me off my train of thought. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you were talking about the 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 data that Bill has and how we're trying to be able to. Right. So kind of like to Lee's scenario with this this last buck like we have all this prediction stuff from spartan forge it says core area transition area full range normal pattern or abnormal pattern like that information alone doesn't really do you a whole lot of good you still have to know the area that you're hunting and you have to know the like the deer so in lee's scenario he had history with the deer he knew where the deer's core area was and something we talk about all the time is like these urban deer and, and non-urban deer have a, I guess what we call a loop, especially later October into the rut. They have this like kind of doe loop. Yeah. They're, they got all these different spots that they go check yep. over maybe like a week, week and a half period of time. But then they also have like the hub to all those spokes and different spots that they go to that they come back to like rest and replenish. And so that, in our opinion, that's the core area. That's where he killed the deer. Yep. And so if you know those spots and you're, and you're using that prediction data, 
you can you can head them off and kind of like full day full uh, full range day you go out and hunt one of those outskirt spots core area day you go back to where he kind of comes to rest and replenish before going back out yeah and it, it and like, like you you made a really good point too like this app is not this isn't a shortcut by any means it's help putting another piece to the puzzle together yeah. you know what i mean you gotta yeah. you gotta understand the area you gotta understand the deer hunt you gotta do your homework and and putting boots on the ground and the scouting and everything else to be able to kind of figure out these things but it makes so much more sense than when you're able to see that and help you actually plan your hunts out based off of that yeah i can see it being super helpful helpful for the guys that are going out of state maybe they're going to public land where they haven't hunted before yeah and they're trying to plan a trip out on a specific set of dates like they're taking off work for four or five days and they need to pick a time to go yep and they need to figure out where to hunt very quickly they they're not running cameras you know all year round it, it, i can see it helping a whole bunch there yeah so yep definitely and so one thing that was uh interesting that you were saying about running that camera and telling how you're hunting the deer with cameras uh you know a, a year or even more ahead of time you know that's before we started talking here, you were, you were discussing your conversation that you had with Johnny Stewart last night and how like a lot of the things that, that you do and he does are very similar, even though like a lot, you're hunting completely different areas at times. And what you just said there is like every, every, that's exactly the same way that, that I look at like when I'm hunting specific deer or if I'm hunting multiple deer or just even an area and learning an area, like I, it takes me a couple of years of Intel before I feel confident as mm-hmm. far as like knowing that it's going to go in and running cameras and stuff. And so do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, his, history kills deer. That is, uh, one of the biggest things for us is, uh, learning these deer. I mean, you know, sometimes we're watching deer three, four years from two, three, four, five, six. And, you know, we're, almost keeping tabs of like, I feel like a hundred different deer because we're never really knowing, okay, this deer is going to make it. This deer's not like that one's off the list. Like we're keeping tabs on so many deer and kind of logging like what they're doing at what, where I'm seeing them at what times of the year. Okay. This is where he's spending his rut. Like this is where I'm thinking his bedroom area is. And you're kind of just like logging and learning all this information. I can't tell you how many times we've been hunting deer and when they start to hit those transition areas, we're able, because of our history, to actually go and head them off. I mean, sometimes two, three, four miles away, I'm like, look, he's left his core area. I know where he's going, and I'm ready for him. And then it's just like almost to the week, you can see him, boom, they're back in their, you know, kind of their rut area. The the deer bane uh, is the perfect example that I had an early season encounter with him in September. This is the year I killed him. And I, you know... This was also at a time in my hunting career, if you want to call it that, where I was like, I think that was a big turning point for me personally was that year I was hunting that deer because I was still struggling as a bow hunter. I didn't have that just like bleeding confidence of just killing deer. Like anything that's in front of me, it's dead. I didn't have that. And I remember in in that particular time, I was like, wanting to quit. I mean, I remember we, I had a phone call with a friend of mine. I was like, dude, I just want to quit. So anyways, I had this encounter with this deer in September and I blew the shot opportunity and deer like that. When something like that happens, they log it in their memory and he never came back to that place and he left. 
And I was like, okay, I've totally blown my opportunity in his bedroom area, but I know where he's going. And so I went and headed him off. It was probably three miles away. And sure enough, like right in the same, you know, middle of October, when I start to see him there, boom, he showed back up. And that was eventually the area that I, that I killed that deer. But yeah, I mean, so history and knowing and learning all these deer, keeping tabs, like constantly learning on what each deer is doing, their behaviors, their tendencies, things like that. I mean, that is one of the biggest advantages we do of, of being able to get on and kill deer. So how are you guys logging that data? Like, how are you remembering it? Dude, all right. So <laughs> this is, I, I'm interested. Here. I'm a terrible student. Like, I was the worst high school student. Organizational student. skills over in this region of the room, horrible. Very poor. I, you know, I, if, if I were, just from talking to you guys, if I were to guess who was the more organizational one, I'm not going to say it, but <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm so offended right now. <laughs> no, I doubt I'm it. I'm just kidding. Not at all. Um, so, it's kind of, all right. You know, like, you have a song you really like, and you heard it. Like, maybe it's like a song in middle school. You were like, oh, I freaking love that song. Like, maybe Umbop Hansen. Maybe that's that past was, your that was time. One of your songs back in the day. I mean, I was like in I was probably fourth grade when that song was was popular. But I haven't heard that song in over ten years. I guarantee, if you played it right now, I could I could remember every single word. My deer, it, like all the deer information, it, it kind of goes in that same category in my brain somehow. I absorb and learn. Like I remember every trail cam picture, where it was taken, what year it was taken, like everything every trail cam picture every single deer it just goes into like this part of my brain where i just like remember everything and i can tell you every specific detail about that deer but if you ask me like you know to go learn some math or something that's going in the portion of the brain that's like the the trash can bin yeah or something. The tra- <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say that that's, that's it's interesting like i definitely have my head is full of a lot of song lyrics from over the years you know i gotta figure out a way to be able to tap into that side get into that and you know clear some of that out <laughs> yeah move you know I, I i feel like i'm decent with some of that stuff but there's a lot of details that i have to log information down to be able oh, yeah. to like I, I keep a whole google sheets of like specific deer and their trail cameras or sightings the weather the wind direction what was going on where they were coming from and then like mm-hmm. i have it where i can sort it and i can go through and kind of look for um different patterns or things that they're doing there i'll have it's not even my own deer it's like my friend's deer that like kendall's got a spot in nashville and he sent me a picture this summer of Buck. He's like, look at this new Buck. I was like, that Buck was there two years ago. What are you talking about? It's that deer from two years ago. You sent me a picture of it. He's like, for real? I was like, yeah, go back. He sent, he, you know, digs through. He's like, damn. He's like, okay, yeah. you're right. That is yeah. the same deer. I was like, duh. <laughs> and like, I just think some people's brains don't really work that way, but that's kind of how mine is. I, I don't, I, well, I think it's because like the way that we've kind of developed our hunting is like, we're going after one specific Buck. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like we're putting, we're running trail cameras all summer long, trying to find the one that just makes us think about it 24 seven. Tingle. Yeah. Sorry. Tingle that you get that tingling in your loins when you, f- you get that yeah. one picture. Yeah. And it almost, I mean, you're not blocking out all the other deer, but like when you kind of learn that much about one specific deer, you kind of figure out like what, what do they look like year to year? Um, you know, what, where are they going to show up at certain times of the year? And it makes you be hyper focused on like the little details, and just log those away, I guess. But I'm I'm kind of the same way as him. Like I'm I'm organized in a lot of ways, but I don't have like a journal or anything like that, or an okay. Excel sheet as far as like getting pictures of a two year old buck and be like, okay, in five years from now, 
Yeah. I've got all this information on him. See, I, I guess I don't start that early. Yeah. Usually I start when like, as far as actual logging data, when I get to the point where I want to kill them or it's okay. like getting okay. pretty close, like the deer that, that I killed this year, I only started hunting the area last year, but I noticed from like, I basically picked like the top five bucks that, that I wanted to hunt or getting close to that point where I really wanted to shoot. And I logged all the data from them because otherwise I wouldn't be able to keep up if I was trying to log all the data from you know, I run 35 cameras. You guys might run more, even more than that, but mm -hmm. it's just like, I, I couldn't keep up with it, but I noticed that he was in early season. He was in at least in the area that I was hunting. He was patternable in early season and late season, which is super rare for like a big woods deer, but there was the fresh logging cut that he just loved basically a food plot of the big woods. So, you know, he liked that type of stuff and I was able to log that data and go back to it and, and figure out some of those different things with it. But like, I don't know for, for me, writing that stuff down helps so yeah. much. I, I definitely envy the, the memory, I guess. That, well, I mean, that I'm sure we're, I'm it. sure we're missing stuff. Like we could be going back to the, the two year olds and the three year olds that you can, I mean, you can tell at that age, a lot of times what they're going to turn into. Like if a deer has potential yeah. and I'm sure if we were keeping detailed notes on you know, where we're getting pictures of these deer, what the weather's looking like that, like when we get those daylight pictures, yeah, we'd be building some patterns that would pay off in the future. So, I mean, that's something that we probably will start doing. I know Spartan Forge has a, a journal function yeah. built in. Oh, that's, that's one of my favorite yeah. features, obviously by what I'm talking about here, but I yeah. love that feature. And there's talk about eventually kind of incorporating that with cellular trail cameras to where it automatically kind of logs that information. Yep. And have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S. And I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade Short Barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. I mean, there's you can't catch everything if you're just trying to store it in your brain, like especially when you get so hyper-focused on one deer, you kind of shut out the, everything else that's going on. Like, for example, Lee, ha I don't know how many spots of permission Lee has in Atlanta. A few. But it's like well over 100. That's probably like a very low I number. I think it's several hundred. Several hundred. And 
he if he finds that one buck that he's going to go hunt, like he doesn't even put cameras out at the other spots. So there's like there's so many bucks that he gets pictures of that he just kind of doesn't even think about because he finds this one buck that's the 180, 190 or whatever that he's just like, all right, all of my efforts going into that one deer because that's what it takes to kill these six, seven, eight year old deer. Yeah, no, that, it's, it's super interesting and and first of all, that many properties is ridiculous to try to. How many? How many of them are your sugar mamas that you had to get in that? <laughs> or don't you hey, want to talk about, talk about, about my hunt, said we're my, not giving uh, away the secret tactics? <laughs> yeah, we're not going to talk. You have to, you have to join your <laughs> online course. <laughs> Those uh, permission tactics, right? That's right. <laughs> but no, that's that's it's interesting. Like I don't know. You got you guys are a little bit different than me from the standpoint. I'm not at the point in my hunting career where I'm all or nothing on a specific deer. I, I just haven't got to that point where I can, cause I, dude, it's high risk, high reward. It is yeah. very high risk, high reward. And I'm, I've been actually, uh, trying to get my, my dad to do that this year on a specific deer. And he's, and he's not that way either. Like basically what the way I've looked at deer is like, I'll hunt a specific deer and I'll focus on that. But I'll kill another deer that, you know, yeah. that you can, but I'm hunting based off of these other, you know, type tactics, but it's, it's I've never done that. Really? Never. I don't think I have either. And but the, like, it's different though. Like where we're hunting, mm-hmm. especially nowadays with how much pressure there is, there are, there's not a lot of mature deer out there. So it's not like you're going to be hunting one, like one mature buck, your target yeah. buck, and then you're going to see another 150, 160 walk by randomly. Yeah. Like, I mean, it could definitely happen. Yeah. But, but it's. Not, not very common. I don't like, I don't think I'd shoot it. It's not like as crazy as that sounds. I mean, obviously if it's like a giant, I'm going to, you know, no brainer, but like Drew, Drew kind of always makes fun of me a little bit for my reactions. Like when we're watching back footage and stuff <laughs> and those are gen- like my reactions when I shoot a deer are not faked. They're not exaggerated. It is literally just like my raw emotion. Yeah. And for me, like it's because I've put so much energy into that specific animal. You're seeing all of that <clears throat> just kind of unleashing of that joy, that emotion, that payoff, high risk, high reward. Yeah. <clears throat> if that buck gets hit by a car, that whole story, that two months of, of really years that have gone into that deer and filming all this stuff, like kind of goes, it goes out the window. Yeah. And that's always in the back of your mind. Like until it happens, there's always that like, what if, what if someone else gets him, he gets hit by a car. What if this story never happens? And so like when I've just put all of my energy into a deer, a specific deer that I'm targeting, I don't care about any other deer. And when it happens for that deer, like it, that specific, specific one I'm after, it's just like this, there's so much raw emotion that just comes pouring out of me of just like, the joy of outsmarting that animal and having it happen. Like, you know, I've just, I've put my soul into that deer and not, you know, like I've, I've, I've done a, it's, it, it happens very, very rarely, but I've done it where, you know, I get a spot or I go hit hunt a fresh place, buck comes in. I don't have much history with him. I shoot him and I'm, I'm excited, but I'm not near the level of excited. If it's like one, I've, got a lot yeah. of history with and it was mm-hmm. my total focus on that deer and i pulled it off like it's a whole different level of of of, of a rush for me yeah no I, c- I can understand that like the that deer that i killed this year that was like that moment where that was the one i was targeting that buck and it was just like 
through the roof. Just mm-hmm. couldn't, you know, almost couldn't believe it that opening day that that, you know, happened. Typically, like most of my strategy and most of everyone else's in the big woods is the rut because there isn't really, you know, a lot of the areas even that I hunt don't even have oak trees. There's not even acorns, you know, it's mostly browse type food. So it's hard to, to concentrate. So, you know, hunting during the rut, it's a little bit more difficult as far as focusing on a specific deer and in areas like here, which you guys saw something different when you said you saw deer all over the road, but it's relatively low deer density, believe it or not. <laughs> and the bucks travel a lot to go to find does, you know, and, and to be able to do that. So that's why, like, if I'm hunting a specific deer, like during the rut, why there's a potential for another one that I've never even seen before to come through, because typically I'm hunting, you know, during that, the rut, some of those doe bedding areas that historically he has visited or he's, you know, doing yeah. that type of, and type I'll tell you like that style of hunting is, it's not the right, like, I'm not saying that's the right way. That's the only way. Yeah. yeah no, I, no like, I get that. To me, that's just my personal addiction. It's yeah. got trade-offs for sure. I was, yeah. I was actually thinking about this recently because as we're starting to grow, we're getting more opportunities. We're having people reach out from different states. Like I went on my first elk hunt this year. Like I, yeah. I love going and hunting new places. But when you're going to new places, like the experience, you're going for the experience, uh, hunting new terrain, new types of animals, if it's a new species or just like a different um, personality of whitetail. But you're almost losing that that side that Lee's talking about where you're super hyper-focused on this one, this one deer, this one story. And you get like, you get so invested in that. It is really high, high risk, high reward. Yeah. But it's, it's a trade-off because like, I want to do both. I want to go hunt these really cool places and not sit in someone's backyard for yeah. the but, rest of my life. But I, but I also, I'll, I don't ever see myself like losing that side of it, the urban stuff, the, the chasing one deer. Yeah. Well, and I know what's, what's, what's really cool about that. And, and is like, when you're talking about having more opportunities and be able to go places, like everyone thinks that I'm completely nuts for not wanting to leave Pennsylvania until I kill. Mm-hmm. I literally won't leave the state until I kill a buck. Last year, I didn't go to any other states for whitetail because it took me all the way until December yeah. to kill. But I just, when I love when I can learn an area so much and learn the yeah. deer and hunt like, like you guys are talking about. And it's I, at the same token, I've also really grown to love just going to a new area without like specific expectations like that and mm-hmm. just hunting it for what it was like this year I went to New York for the first time ever. I went up there in one day and I shot a small seven point that was up there off the ground, spot and stock, just kind of cruising these ridges. And that was a blast. It was yeah. just a whole, it like was different. No, no stress. There was no stress. Just That's fun. Whatever hunting. you kill. It's fun hunting. Yeah, it is. Really fun. Chasing it, one buck is extremely stressful. It is. Yeah, it is. And it's actually a lot, a lot of the times it's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. Most yeah, of the no, time it's not. <laughs> a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're losing sleep. Like it's super stressful. Yeah. And honestly, like my first time hunting, kind of away from that style was when we hunted with the hunting public last year from the boat doing the bebopping around to a bunch of just public land and stuff and i had no expectations like if a deer comes in front of you and you want them give them the beans like send it you know send the arrow and uh i had you know we shot some does and stuff and i had this buck come in front of me and you know i i still got crazy excited about shooting him and he was probably 120 inch deer but I had no history with them. It was just like such a cool experience. No expectation, no pressure. It's just like, hey, if mm-hmm. a buck shows up and you want them, yeah. let him have it. 
And that's exactly what happened. And it was like one of the coolest, one of my most memorable hunts I've been on. And it was just like fun. I, yeah. I remember telling Aaron and, and telling Drew, I was like, this was just fun. Yeah. To go out and just hunt. Like, don't worry about yeah. all that. Just hunt. Like, it was really fun. So there's definitely two styles. I'm yeah. not saying one way is right, one way is wrong. Like, whatever gets you personally really excited to go hunt, like, go do it. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. And that's it's the same. Like, when I went to New York, I literally drove up there with expectations. And, and my uh, my buddy said to me, he's like, what, what, are you, what are you trying to shoot up there? I told him, I said, future 120. <laughs> he started laughing. He's like, really? I'm like, I said, I, I'm just going up there. I want to shoot a buck. I don't really care what it is. I said, I might pass on deer. I might not. It's going to be situational and mm-hmm. kind of how, and that that's fun too, you know, and that's not yeah. the way I typically hunt in Pennsylvania. Cause it's just, yeah, it's different types yeah. of fun yeah. and, and what kind of challenges, you know? Yeah. I think there's also a lot to be said for like how you cut your teeth getting into hunting. So if you cut your teeth on big woods, public land in Pennsylvania, like you're always going to be drawn to that style yeah. because it's, I mean, you develop that style for yourself on your own, just like we did in the urban stuff. And, you know, even if we do start branching out, like that's, that's our roots. We're always going to be going back to our roots because yeah. that's kind of, that's what got us here in the first place. So, but I, I totally agree. Like whatever style you like, whatever is, you know, accessible to you, go do it. Yeah. And it's like, don't, it's like, don't mimic Drew style. Don't mimic Lee style. Don't mimic my style. It's yeah. Find your own. Maybe right. you find something that, that Lee says, that's like, oh, you know, maybe I'll try that. And I like doing that or something Bo says or Drew says, and, but everyone's got to have their own style. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, like when I talk, I talk to a lot of very successful hunters like you guys, and I always pull something from it that I can apply to my own thing, but I don't try to copy, mm-hmm. you know, one person or another. It's just always, you know, just kind of molding that and you'll you'll eventually start to see a lot of crossovers between you know people no matter where they hunt when they're you know successful or whatever whatever that is and my 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 addiction is not necessarily limited to like suburban stuff it's more just like knocking on doors and getting access to places that i just didn't have before seeing what's there i mean it could be one acre it could be a thousand acres like it it doesn't matter to me one way or the other. Yeah. Just that like I'm I'm going out, I'm gonna get some new spots, I'm gonna see what's around, like and you know, you never know what experience and what journey you're gonna go down by, you know, getting access, having the right conversation at the right time with some homeowner that's got acreage behind their house and you go down this like amazing journey that that just, you know, kind of brings your passion out of you. And uh like so I don't like I wouldn't necessarily say like Drew and I are strictly urban. Like yeah. it's really anywhere that we can knock on a door and get access to hunt. Um, you know, we got permission on Drew had 800 acres back home in Atlanta. He killed 180 inch deer off of it. And then I've killed a deer on one acre and kind of like mm-hmm. everywhere yeah. in between. So it's not specific to just urban. Yeah. And then that thought of like what could possible possibly exactly. happen like yeah. that's like that's like the most exciting part and yeah I, I don't know about for you guys and and i'd be curious to hear your opinion but like for for me i was just talking to my cousin about it the other day it's like i like the scouting and the strategizing and the planning and everything leading up to it way more than i do actually sitting in a, sitting in a stand for yeah. four hours like, <laughs> yeah. uh, like 10 times over yeah. oh yeah and there's also a sadness, like when it's over too, like if you, when you do, or if you kill that deer, like there's a hundred percent of sadness where it's like, oh, 
Yeah, it's over now. Like I'm not going to wake up and see, you know, check, be anxious to like check my cameras and see if he's shown up like tonight and I can go, you know, get after him this afternoon. Like there's definitely like, I think it's just an, a super high level of respect for these deer that like, you know, there's a sadness amidst all of the excitement when it does happen. Uh, but yeah, no, to your point, like that getting a new spot, you know, putting a, a new camera out in uh-huh. a new place, like that anticipation is like the biggest draw. It's like the exploratory spirit. Like yeah. you're just, you're just going and it's, it's the feeling that you have the ability to get permission to hunt in any area that you want. And if you have a spot that you shoot a buck off of and it runs dry, like there's not a shooter there the next year, go to the next spot. Yeah. You can go anywhere you want is if you can talk to landowners and get permission. And that's such a skill that, that you guys have and people like you that do that and asking permission and stuff like that's, that, I, I remember when I was in college trying to go asking for permission to hunt different farms and stuff. I freaking hated it. It sucks. So I like yeah. it. I, I, hate I love it. it. It's a, it's a personality it thing. I, I'll, I'll gobble it down. Give me, I'll, <laughs> I'll knock on a hundred doors in a day. Well, it doesn't bother me. Really? I just, I like talking to people. I, I mean, I really yeah. do. And you know, some of the homeowners I've, gotten permission from are like good friends now like yeah. close friends and uh, i have good relationships with a lot of these people and so you know that's that's a big part of it for me is is just interacting with people um i've been doing it for 16 years so we start i started doing it when i was 15 same with drew and to me it's like it's just nothing to go knock on the door and i but i have friends that are terrified like they're like oh what, what do i say will you, will you go knock for me like, yeah. No, you can do it. You're you're a big boy. You can do it. And uh, but there's like a I think it's just like a mental block people put in their head of their built, hyping it up to be like this huge deal. It's like, dude, you're just having a conversation with someone. It's what's not the, a big what's deal. What's the worst that could happen? There yeah. They say we'll that. shoot you. Or they call. Yeah. Because we'll, we'll, that almost we'll happened to me you. last year. But <laughs> that's a rare thing. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> I was talking to Tony Treach uh, on the podcast, and he he hunts a lot of Kansas and, and knocks on a lot of doors. And he was saying last year he had a guy saying that he ever comes on his property again, even knock on the door, that he'd be burying him on the property. He's like, well, see, yeah. I had a yeah. lady say that. We to have me. people say that a lot, but he actually had it happen to him. Well, t- so there's two incidences that I'll refer to. <laughs> God. And picking up from your conversation, I actually had a lady say the same thing. She, she didn't say that she'd bury me, bury me in the hills or whatever, but she said that she would shoot me dead if she ever saw me again in, in her yard. And I was like, like, I'm pretty not combative, I'm a, but I'm going to push you. If you're a homeowner and you say no, I'm going to be like, why? <laughs> yeah. If you, t- if you tell me you're going to kill me, I'm going to be like, Why? And that's what I did with her. I was like, oh, I was like, hold on, hold on. Let's like, whoa, pump the brakes. <laughs> you just said you're going to kill me. I was like, what are you going to tell my mom? What are you going to tell my dad? That you killed me because I was going to hunt a deer? I was like, lady, this is ridiculous. I was like, why don't we just cl- take a step back here and calm down? I was like, you're acting crazy. And she was like, you know what? You're right. I was like, holy crap, that worked. Wow. And so anyways. Did you guys have coffee or anything? No, no. I mean, we, did, we, kept, <laughs> we kept talking. Well, we kept he, got, talking. he got permission. I did get permission from her. I got hunting permission. So I turned it from, she's going to kill me to, yeah, you can hunt here. But it just, you know. <laughs> wow. Sometimes like, you know, pushing people a little bit when it's like, you're acting like a crazy person. The other incidents I'll tell you about was this one was actually really, really bad, really dangerous. Um, I wasn't even asking a deer hunt. 
I was knocking on the door. I shed hunt like crazy in the springtime. Yeah. It's a, it's a 365 day a year deal for us when we're like tracking deer, learning deer. I mean, we, I, I don't think about anything else. And any kind of piece of the puzzle you can put together, whether it's in March, February, anything you can figure out, it's going to help you kill that deer in the fall. I do a ton of shed hunting. I freak, I love shed hunting. I knock on a ton of doors. 99% of people have no problem with you shed hunting. They're just like, sure, go ahead. No problem. You know, and I, and I tell them like, I, and I give them to my mom for her birthday. Her birthday's in, uh, end of February. And usually I find a bunch of sheds for her and, you know, she decorates her house with them or whatever. So I tell them that and they're like, go ahead and knock yourself out. No problem. So I go to knock on this door and my friend lived next door. Um, so I parked at his house. I walked to this person's house. I knock on the door and I see him inside. They see me walk up and, you know, knock on the door, nothing. Well, I come up a second time. I was just making sure that they heard me. Knock, knock, knock. I walk back. No answer. I'm like, all right, well, they just, you know, I could tell they were kind of elderly. I was like, they don't want to answer. So I go back to the truck. I turn back around five minutes later, two cop cars in the, in the driveway. I was like, oh boy, here we go. Walk back over there. And I'm like, I was like, I'm assuming you called about me. Can I come on over? And they're like, yeah, yeah, come on over. What was funny was one of the cops was like, dude, I know, like, I love your YouTube videos. That like, and he's like, I got into urban hunt in my backyard because I saw y'all stuff. And uh, that was kind of funny. And so anyways, we go talk to this homeowner and he tells me that when I went and knocked on the door the second time that he had a handgun, he's like, you couldn't, he's like, Sonny, you couldn't see me. But the second time you knocked on my door, He's like, I had a handgun pointed at you and he's like, I was shaking and my finger was on the trigger and I was back and forth in my mind of whether or not I should pull that trigger. And, and the same thing, like I got pissed off at him. The cops got pissed off at him. I did the same thing. I was like, what are you going to tell my parents if you shot me dead on your front porch? I could have been like, Hey, I'm a neighbor. I'm, I ran out of milk. Can I have like a, you know, cup of milk? I'm trying to make a cake. That's a weird, weird example. Well, but. I mean, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I just yeah. a neighbor needing help. Like, you're going to shoot me? <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, it's a rare thing, but. Yeah, and you don't look like an aggressive person. He said that. He was like, especially looking the way you look like right now. I was like, dude, what, <laughs> what are you smoking? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm wearing gym shorts and like a t-shirt, like. Yeah. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? So if you're trying to get into the, the door knocking game. Expect one out of like ten thousand doors to get a gun pulled on you. Yeah, because it's okay. probably it's Play probably the big close finger to on the trigger. It, it's just it's just yeah. You got to live a little. You bit know, to be rest. honest with you, I kind of wish you'd clip me. You know, just like a little bit. <laughs> just like just wing me on my shoulder. Yeah. Just I mean, it, it, this podcast would be way more interesting if I was telling you about how I got shot knocking on doors oh, and I yeah. could show you the scar and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> If you had like a body cam Maybe on we or can something. stage that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get a fake scar on my shoulder. What? You knock on Johnny's door of his camp here and he just... He might shoot you, honestly. <clears throat> yeah. No, jo- Johnny, no matter who, knock on his door. Yeah, come on in. Yeah. They'll have everybody in here talking. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like Johnny a lot. I know you said you've had him on, on your podcast yeah. a handful of times, so I'm sure a lot of people listening know who know who we're talking about. Yeah. And it was interesting. I was, I was telling you earlier... Um, He's he's a big woods guy. I mean, public land, and uh, but he's also a guy that knows deer. I mean, he just knows deer. Yeah, and he's done it all. He's he's done the smaller track, the urban stuff, the big woods stuff, and he and I hit it off because, like, we're both obviously obsessed with this stuff, mature bucks, <clears throat> and it was interesting. 
that like a lot of the tactics that we do back home and more of your urban type stuff was totally in line with stuff that he's doing here on in the big wood stuff. And I think the the overwhelming point is that like a mature buck is a mature mm-hmm. buck. Yeah. They have the same instincts, they have the same habits, the same just survival. They don't want to die. Yeah, instincts matter where built they are. into them. And it's amazing to see the similarities no matter what their uh, environment is. Yeah. That was a really cool thing to connect with him on. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I'm glad that I saw you guys talking for a while in here last night and he's just, he's has so much information in his head and he's, he's been so many places. Like he, you're talking about like landowners. So Johnny used to live out of his Jeep when he'd go to different places and he was out in Iowa. He'd go out there cause he could get a tag every year if he hunted the late season when nobody wanted to be out there. So he'd go out and he'd sleep in his Jeep when it was cold as hell and go out and hunt these places. Well, this landowner had, he, he, I don't know if he told you this story or not, but this landowner, this old farmer saw his Jeep parked right next to his property on the public land piece all the time and started talking to him. Now Johnny spends Christmas a lot of times with this guy. <laughs> He's like eighty seven years old. Now he stays at his house. Yeah. And, you know, and he, he lets him hunt the property if he wants. And typically Johnny still goes and hunts at the places that he has and like he goes and helps the landowner out and helps him with his equipment and whatever he needs. And it's it's Johnny's just such a good dude and he just knows knows deer. But Yeah, he does. I mean, Drew and I went and just followed him around today for a few hours, just kind of scouting around. And I, I, I was just like, I'm just going to shut up and listen to him. Yeah. yeah. There's, I mean, there's very few guys that you talk, like we talk to a lot of hardcore hunters, but Johnny is the kind of guy that's so infatuated with it. He spent so much time doing it. His, his mindset is like 24, seven, 365 it's hunting. And when he starts telling a story about a buck that he killed or just a hunting experience in general, like he takes you back to yeah. like, you feel like you're there. He has like this photographic memory of everything that happened like 15 years ago on a bu- one of these books that we're looking at on the wall right here. Yeah. And like I I love people that can tell stories like that. I don't I don't have that myself. Like I don't remember details like that, but guys that can tell stories like that where they remember so much about the hunt is so cool it just to sucks me. you in. And it's like if they if they can remember it well enough to tell the story like that, then they sure as crap can remember it to kind of log this information in their minds and use that as an advantage for the next hunt. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've heard him tell stories about like where, and he's told him on the podcast before where he heard a specific deer cough, and he that's had, what he was telling us. Was last he telling night? a story yeah, about the cough? Like, yeah, like, like things like, and the thing about Johnny is he hasn't been influenced by like any media or like any yeah. like he just it's it's what Johnny's learned from his personal experiences is what he applies, and like I and I think that's awesome. Like I, it's like similar to I, I'd say like. The things that when I listen to my dad or I follow my dad around hunting in the woods because he doesn't have any other influence other than what he knows and what mm-hmm. he does. And I love listening to people like that. And it's 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 super cool. Yeah, because you learn from experience and you're not just regurgitating what other people said. Yeah, And exactly. it's like if you, if you do it that way, there's unique things that you learn about these animals. Like that's – I was – when Johnny was walking us around today and kind of talking about like – how he scouts and kind of what he's figured out about these deer. There's like, there's the the first layer of knowing the deer's tendencies that you can find, you can read online, you can hear on podcasts and stuff. But then you take it like another couple of steps farther and you get so deep into these deer's habits where it's, it's almost like 
it sounds it sounds weird when you're talking about it because for someone that like isn't that hardcore into hunting they're like there's no way you you figured that out about these deer like that's so unique to each specific deer but like when you're when you spend that much time with them and you, and you learn their tendencies whether it's what they're eating or what they're doing certain times of year the areas that they're going to to avoid hunting pressure like it's so cool to hear that different people's experiences in these different habitats yeah that spend so much time with these deer so there, there he's was one of those guys <clears throat> there was two things i think in particular that kind of stood out in our conversation last night and one of them was how sometimes these mature bucks will get in such a small area that's just their kingdom their zone their bedroom and whether that is in an urban environment or a place where he has a hundred thousand acres to roam they find that little area that's just theirs they spend a ton of their time in that little area and it's like they're not branching outside of that very often that some of these just these old smart deer that just sometimes are so hard to kill you almost have to infiltrate that little itty bitty place that they are just like so in tune with Mm -hmm. and that's what makes some of these older deer so hard to kill Mm -hmm. and i was so that how even on big woods that these mature bucks will find really small areas yeah um same thing again it's just how these deer are ingrained i think it's in their dna um and the same thing happens back in the urban stuff like you know you can look on a map and some of the the big woods in urban places are some of the worst places because you know maybe there's a ton of human foot traffic in there it may be hunted to death like and some of the best places we found are little itty bitty nooks and crannies that this deer has just never ever been messed with yeah that he's just like they're very very good at finding those places where they're left alone mm-hmm. and that's like sometimes so hard to find but when you do it's it changes everything when you finally like found that deer's kind of lair, like when you've uncovered his secret almost. And it's so hard to explain on something like here, like on a podcast or even, even in videos because they don't look the same all the time. It's just like, yeah. Yeah. I was on a podcast with Johnny. We were both on wired to hunt and Mark was interviewing both of us about this type area. And, and Johnny was talking, he literally said nooks and crannies, like these areas that where, you know, they, where they're at and you know and, and mark was asking him to describe it and johnny's like i, I it's hard to it's hard to describe some yeah. of these areas like you just have to to see it and well because every deer is just different yeah it yeah and most of the time it's like areas that they don't have any like distinctive features mm-hmm. because the places that do have distinctive features that's where the other hunters go yeah because they hear they know the information or it's right. out there you know it's not it's the overlooked spots that yeah. you, you have to spend 50 hours looking at a map and then it's like, Oh wow. That, I didn't see that before. Yeah. And then That's once you the get in find. there and then you see it and you're like, Oh, there's this, you know, little patch of this brush that's here, whatever it yeah. might be that, that makes it. And I think every buck's like life experience is different. And so that's what almost like helps them form these little safe pockets. Like I don't think it's like, okay, there's this safe pocket on this thousand acres. There's always, a giant deer in there every single year. Like it may be this one specific deer's little pocket, but then the next year, you know, if that deer got killed, this dominant mature buck in there may have a different little pocket somewhere else. And it's just like when they're living their life from the time they are born 
to the time that they die, they are constantly just like in their mind, okay, I've never, ever been messed with here. I'm going to favor this place. It's been my retreat. And it, that retreat may be different for each animal just based on their life experiences. Like maybe that buck encountered a human in this little pocket here. And so he av- tends to avoid that because that happened to him before. And, you know, he favors kind of this other area. Like there's no set like, oh, this pocket right here, that's the pocket. It's just like every deer is different. Their behaviors are different, all of that. There's no shortcut to figuring to find yeah, this spot. Yeah. Boots on the ground. Every deer running cameras. No, and it's not experience. like the, no, no matter how experienced you are, you know, like say Drew or Lee, you could go into a uh, an urban area or big woods or wherever it is, and you're not going to go in there the first time and be like, "This is where the biggest deer is living at." It takes time of oh yeah figuring that yeah. out. You know, the other thing, the 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 point number two that that he and I were just like kind of just oh that happens too like just just yeah. kind of just going at it was. I was telling him the story about a deer that I killed uh, that I named Lefty. He was 193 inches and had six years of history, trail camera history with this deer. And I had an area that was definitely his core area. He favored this place. I mean, he spent a ton of time there, but it was the, the constant back and forth cat and mouse. Like every time I'm in there, he's nowhere to be seen. When I'm gone, comes through no problem. And I hunted that deer again we're always learning from every hunting experience we're having every deer we're at. Like we've, we've not reached. I don't think you ever as a hunter reached that point where you're like, I got it all figured out. No, you're constantly learning. You're constantly making mistakes, but you want to learn from those mistakes. And so I was hunting this deer. I had hunted him 50 sits in one season and starting from September all the way to the end of January. And what I had figured out and it, 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 took me a long time to figure this out was that he had actually patterned exactly where I was parking my car and exactly where I was walking in. He knew my exact trail and everything. And it's like these deer are constantly trying to pattern you and they know the difference. He and I went on about, about the scent stuff for an hour about how I think one of the common misconceptions is that with urban hunting, it's like, well, they don't really care about human scent. And it's like, that's not true at all because they know the difference from, well, I'm, I've, I'm smelling a human, but it's coming from that house. That's totally normal. They know the difference in that. And when they're, they're smelling a human and it's in their territory and they, they walk can't, outside they of the can't yard find or whatever. It. Yeah. 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 It's a totally different deal. And that's what the cat and mouse thing has happened on so many of these big bucks is like, they're smelling us or patterning us, figuring out where we're coming in, or they're getting downwind of where they know we're at. And we're not seeing them, but they're smelling us going the other way. I mean, dude, it's happened so many times. So anyways, I could go on about the scent stuff forever. That's probably a whole different podcast, but specific to this deer, he had patterned where I was parking my truck and walking in and he was bedding down right there, like literally exactly right there where I was parking and walking in. So every single time I was going in there, he knew it. And when I'd finally figured that out, this, this lady, this homeowner was like, gave me permission. She was like, I just want you to access from the back, from the back, from the back. I don't want you kind of out of sight, out of mind. So that's why I was kind of having to force to come in at the same place every time. I went over to her and I was like, hey, I think this, you know, these deer kind of have me patterned. I was like, can I just a couple times access from your side and the front side of the property? And, and she was, she was like, yeah, that's fine. Um, so I Brushed in a ground blind, stayed out of there. And when he was back in there, I slipped in in the evening and took one sit and I killed him. 
from accessing a different place. Because and he and he came from where he was, where I was parking, was where exactly where he was bedded. That's where he got up and came came into me after and it like took, three years of hunting this yeah, year, dude. So many years, so many sits, and it took one sit changing my access that threw this deer a curveball where he was like, no, nope, coast is clear. This is where he comes in at. He hadn't come in. I'm good. And killed that deer. Oh. And he was, he was, dude, Johnny was just on the edge. He was eating it up and he was yeah. like, yeah. oh yeah. So yeah. It was, <laughs> What's I, crazy about that is like that, that deer could have bedded in a ton of different spots in that block of wood. Oh yeah. Like he could have been up on top of a hill where he could see a lot of stuff, but instead he decided to, to bed in the danger zone but within view of where you're walking in. Oh yeah. And so when we walk in, he leaves. But when uh, we when Johnny was kind of showing us around today, he was talking about like, yeah, we see these like these deer bedded in these laydowns off the side of the road all the time. And I was thinking in my head like, I, I guarantee you they're better there because they're seeing these these trucks roll in. Keep a tab. And they're on. watching when someone's coming in to hunt. And yep. when they see someone coming in to hunt, they're like, I'm not getting up. Like someone's someone's back here. But if they're like bedded down back way back in the woods, they're not seeing that happen. They're not seeing the access, so they have no. They don't. They can't keep tabs on it. And at, when I was parking in that spot and accessing it, dude, I was seeing two year olds, three year olds, like no problem. Yeah. But that's a totally different deer Completely than a, than a six deer. plus year old. It's a compl- night and day difference in in that animal. Yeah. It, it the the thing about access trails and like how that you know, you're talking about that in an urban environment, but like here we find it so much where either next to the roads or like a lot of the places will have gated roads that go back. Mm-hmm. And along those spots, I'll find, you know, beds or I, I actually had a specific deer that I was hunting for four years that I'd kind of figured out his little home area, watched this trail that would come in that and. And I didn't realize that for a long time until he had dropped his shed in December and it was like literally right after rifle season ended and it was 50 yards from that trail. And it was in a relatively open spot that yeah. just had a log where he could, and I actually got down in the bed and kind of figured like how he'd be sitting there and he'd be still covered away from it, a place I wouldn't even think about looking. It wasn't your traditional yeah. buck bedding location as I would see a normal deer. It was just a whole different animal is how, how they, they looked at it. And it's, it's absolutely incredible when you, when you see that. You just can't give them enough credit for how smart they are. Like we come up with these crazy ideas of like, well, maybe he's seeing us do this or thinking that it's like, no, he's, he's just a deer. He's just an animal. There's no way he's that smart. Yeah. But they are like, it's so crazy how many different ways they can think and use the environment against you. Like that is their territory. They have one goal in life and it's to survive. Yeah. And they're damn good at it. You know, know what I want I want you guys to do and think about is you guys should come up in the spring next year and spend some time scouting. So then you have you have some knowledge of the area and mm-hmm. you know run some cameras or something. You get a little bit of that you know targeting on it. And I want you to come up here and hunt some point. I'm in man in in the fall. I think I think it would be really cool to see because like you said, mature deer or mature deer to see your guys how you would hunt an area like this just based off of using the knowledge that you've had and just seeing an area and going into i think it would be pretty yeah pretty cool you know like and not not just coming in blind for a week to hunt or three or four days but you know coming up and spending some time spending three days scouting you know in the springtime and you know looking for shed antlers and kind of understand the area maybe setting some cameras up or something i think that would be pretty cool yeah i'm in 
that'd be fun. And that, I mean, as soon as we get up here and we're seeing these deer and stuff, I'm like, gosh, I can't believe I didn't bring my bow. Yeah. So yeah, I saw, think next year we're for sure. Yeah. You saw, oh, like, I saw a 150 inch deer <laughs> just driving into town last night. I know. I, I was like, that's incredible. <laughs> I mean, it looked like, it looked fake. It looked like one of those like DNR just put this like gigantic, like buck. a robotic. Yeah. Deer. It totally looked like that. <laughs> the road right on the side <laughs> of the road. It's <laughs> like, there's no way this is real. <laughs> but it was real. It was, yeah. It was a, I mean, I'm telling you, he was every bit of 150. That's easily. Yeah. So. But I, I mean, as similar as mature deer's tendencies are across the country, there's still obviously a, a big learning curve. Yeah. If you're hunting different areas, like the terrain, how they use the terrain for bedding and for traveling, the food sources, like all that stuff would be foreign to us coming to an area like this. So. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's maybe it translates 50% the knowledge that we have. And then the rest of it, you gotta, you gotta figure out as you kind of get familiar with the areas. Yeah. But at the end of the day, whitetails have one thing on their mind and it's surviving, avoiding hunting pressure, eating and breeding. And that's it. Yeah. And we can, we can overcomplicate it a lot of times, but yeah, it's very, very true. And one thing, but I I realized that we, I didn't want to stop you guys, as we started rolling with this podcast, but I never did like very good on the whole introduction thing. We started going into it, but we started getting so into deer right off the bat. No one has like, any idea who the heck we are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really, I, I thought about that as we were talking. I was like, I literally just gave the guys names and that was, <laughs> that was kind of it. So if, if you guys are cool that kind of transition, just going back to, you know, who you guys are and what, what you got going on. Uh, Drew, do you want to kind of start yeah. off a little bit? Yeah. How far do you want me to take it back? So, so just, just, uh, um, just give a little bit of background on you personally and then, uh, and then kind of what, what you guys have going on with, mm-hmm. with seek one and kind of like how it's, how it started and, and where it started, how it started and go from there. Yeah. So Lee and I went to high school together. That's kind of how we got to know each other. Um, my family has always been a hunting family. Not like, I wouldn't say they're a hardcore hunting family. Like no one else in my family is into it as I am, but I've always had either like a family farm or a lease or something to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of grew up rifle hunting. I think I started when I was maybe like 10. So it wasn't like something that I did every weekend. Uh, Lee was kind of the opposite. No one else in his family hunts and, we kind of connected for the first time on the bass fishing side. Um, there was a bunch of guys in our class that love bass fishing. We do like these tournaments on the weekends and stuff. And we were fishing a pond, like a neighborhood pond by my parents' house back in, I don't know what we were freshmen in high school or something like that. And I had minimal hunting experience. He had little to no hunting experience. And the answer is not yeah, no, no hunting, <laughs> no hunting whatsoever. And we started seeing like these, these trails and these rubs and scrapes behind this pond. And we were like, or I guess I was like, Lee, this is from what I've experienced in my limited experience. This is not normal whatsoever. <laughs> like yeah. there's rubs everywhere. There's freaking cow paths through this little Creek bottom. I was like, we need to, we need to check this out. Like we need to figure out what's going on back here. And at the time, we knew nobody that hunted in the suburbs, um, really knew nothing about bow hunting, period. I didn't know what a rub was. Yeah. 
You're going to tell me what a rub was. <laughs> <laughs> and so we like. He still does, right? <laughs> I, I still haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> rub, scrape, same thing. Yeah. But uh, I guess, I don't know if it was that year or the following year. We're like, okay, let's, we're going to buy. I think we started with the crossbows, like I guess most people do. And I went and found, I, I went on like the tax assessor website to find property lines and found the person that owned like a little six acre chunk of this creek bottom. Knocked on their door. My mom had to drive me there because I was 15 at the time. Dropped me off, knocked on the door. Obviously stumbling over my words. Had no clue what to say. Yeah. I was like, hey, I just like, I think you have deer in your backyard. Can I hunt them? Something like that. And uh, it took, she. they were like, oh, I don't know if that's legal. Like, let me figure it out. Come back. It took me like three or four times coming back to that one house to finally annoy them enough to be like, fine, like go back there, hunt. Yeah. Like go for it, whatever. And we hunted that one property, one, six acres for what, three, four years before we kind of like started, started branching out. They actually, they actually just sold the place. I went, I went by there a month ago and they were literally moving out when I went in there. But so we, we literally cut our teeth on this property and I just, with everyone that's like become successful in whatever business or industry, there's, there's so many things that have to go right. Like so many variables. And I feel like that variable of landing on this one property for Lee and I was a huge reason that we've gotten to kind of where we are right now. Cause if there was one spot that we could go back to and hunt 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when there was like very little pressure, that would be the spot. Even though we've been all over Atlanta and seen all these different spots, different pockets of genetics, that spot was absolutely ridiculous. Um, And so Lee ended up killing, I I killed the first buck out of there. It was a 173 inch, like 12, 13 pointer, 300 pound deer. And had no freaking clue what I had shot. And you like you killed that when you were in high school or uh that was that was like freshman year in college. Uh, freshman year in college, yeah, it was like Jeez. two or three years into it. Yeah, we, I mean we spent I mean we floundered in there for about two or three years. Like you no idea been, what would have been one ninety three if you had that mustache back then. You probably dang right. I probably would have killed him the first year, honestly. <laughs> we couldn't grow mustaches back. I still can't grow one, but you know, you get the concept. Yeah. So we uh I killed that deer and then Lee went on like a four or five year streak where he just was, he was laying them down like one forties, one fifties every year. And, um, he was the first one to kind of figure out like, okay, we've got this place. It's a Creek bottom coming off the river. There's hardwood ridges on both sides, privet in the bottom. This isn't the only place that this is going on here in Atlanta. And so he started going out and, and finding similar areas kind of starting on the street that we're on, like same within a square mile and started branching out from there, knocking on doors and figuring out like this, we can replicate this across the entire city. Um, and so that, I mean, that's just kind of snowballed into knocking on like a ridiculous number of doors every year. Like if, if I said a number, I don't think people would believe it, but 500 to a thousand doors every summer and just kind of like perfecting this, permission getting craft yeah. and learning where like where these bucks live where they are different times a year and 
No, but, and, and I think, I mean, I would think people would believe it because like, I don't know what I see in people like that are super successful or super passionate in something that they're in. They do things that sound crazy. Mm-hmm. They, they are, they are, yeah. they're a hundred percent freak. They're, they're nuts, but like it's, that's what you guys did. And it's, it's pretty obvious how that's, how that's been working out. Yeah. So, I mean, for the first, like what? five, six years that we were knocking doors. I mean, we'd get maybe one yes out of a hundred door knocks. Yeah. Low ratio for sure. Like very, very low ratio, very discouraging. Just, I mean, just flailing all over the place on people's front doorsteps, basically just (laughs) spewing words. And that just, it just kind of kept getting better and better. And we kind of figured out what to say, uh, what landowners need to hear. Like we figured out that most people, most people haven't had experiences with hunters before. So they don't, they don't know like what we're about. They kind of have these stigmas in their mind of like a redneck that's going to go drink beer on the property and, you know, trash the place or whatever. And, uh, (laughs) more than once (laughs) you you guys can have your own whole podcast and just conversations that you have. (laughs) There's so much, there's (laughs) so much to uncover. Yeah. So much, but just figuring out like how to educate these people on what, what we do and why we do it was a huge part of kind of figuring out the permission thing. Um, that kind of got us to the point where we're like, okay, we, we've kind of figured out like this urban stuff. We started killing some really big deer, got on the cover of magazines a few times. And then we got to the point where we're like, okay, we're, we've got some crazy stories. Maybe we should start telling them, start showing them. So, Lee, I don't know if there's anything you want to fill in on the that backstory, but before we get into the actual Seek One Inception, but no, I mean that pretty much covers it. There's there's so much more to unpack in that time frame. Yeah, uh, and we I mean, could talk like, for four hours about the. Yeah, I, I mean, dude, we I we could talk for days about so many different things, but uh, I, I would say one of the big things for me personally. Drew too in that time frame. I was that I didn't come from a hunting family. Drew said that, but <clears throat> I think something that I that I almost sort of pride myself on is that I learned all of this stuff from my own experiences, making mistakes, literally getting to the point of just like I want to quit and not quitting, and. I, I don't know. I guess I'm just proud of the fact that like, you know, no one kind of handed this to us. Like we kind of took it upon ourselves and like it was, I mean, filled with that, that beginning time frame was just filled with so many heartbreaks because bow hunting is so tough. Yeah. And especially when you don't have someone kind of like guiding you, you know, we made a lot of mistakes along the way, but I think the biggest thing I'm proud of is that we took those mistakes as learning experiences. And I finally feel like in the last several years, we've really kind of hit our stride with, with killing deer. Mm-hmm. And yeah. still it's like, like this, this has been a tough year so far. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's just so many things that have to get to fall into place to get it done. Like the more and more I hunt, the more I realize how difficult bow hunting is. Yeah. It's not, it's yeah, not easy. It's, ne- it's never going to get easier. No, know? it's, it's not. not. And I think that's one of my big things. That's what I was telling one of the, the veterans here earlier that, that had that not much hunting experience. It's like, dude, you're going to have heartbreak. That's part of bow hunting. More times than not, you're going to fail. Yep. 
whether it's you know you screw up the shot or like it just doesn't fall in your way to even have that shot opportunity because you know he's you know it, there's so many different things that can go wrong leading up to that moment and so that was my big message to him anyone that's listening to this too like if they're getting into it right now like don't beat yourself up take every mistake as a learning experience and make yourself better from it and you'll eventually turn that corner it takes time but bow hunting is something that just it's not it's not something that just like is ingrained in you i think it's just a learned skill and that you have to have experience under your belt mm-hmm. making those mistakes and kind of bettering yourself Build so that, that confidence. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's no way to replicate that high-pressure situation of having a mature animal in front of you no. that you no. chase forever. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter how many times you shoot at your target. I your still backyard. struggle with it. Oh, I, I a lot. really like, struggle with like target panic on, on mature bucks. I, I that, that one I shot this year, I missed him at 14 yards yeah. and then I killed him at 53 because I got a second off. Yeah, you got out of your opera. system and yeah. And, and I, yeah, I just, I literally like the easy, like when I, when I said it on the podcast, like people were probably like, Is he, you know, rookie, I didn't bend at the waist out of a tree. Like, you know, I was in a saddle and I was just yeah. like, I was like, yeah, he's in my truck bed, you know, I had it all in my yeah, head. Yeah. That everything was done. And I was like, as soon as I shot, I'm like, you idiot. You know, like yeah. it, those things do happen. And, you know, it's, it's tough to understand what it's like under those mm-hmm. pressure situations. And it's easy to see, like, say guys like you that they see, you know, YouTube and stuff where you're killing all these big deer and stuff, but they don't see all the, uh, all, I mean, you show a lot of it, but yeah. you don't see all of the heartbreak that goes in or all the time that's spent coming into it. It's impossible to it, show It's much. impossible to be able to show it. You know, like this year, I've had a really good year, but two years leading up to this, like the last couple of years, I struggled bad. Like I spent all my vacation hunting and I couldn't kill a deer with my bow that I, that I wanted to. And I just felt like I was just a failure. I'm like, is this... Like yeah, everything I thought I know is just out the window. It'll, it'll humble you. Yeah, I mean, it'll it humble hum- you real quick. Yeah, it does. And I like, I think I would also say, you know, if if you're a new bow hunter out there and you're wanting to get into it, like, don't try to jump right into killing the biggest buck you can. Like, if a doe comes in, kill, like, just kill stuff. Yeah, shoot some does. <laughs> like, get some yeah. get some stuff under your belt. Get that like that oozing confidence is what kills deer. And I didn't have that until the last several years. And now I, I feel like any deer that is 50 yards or less is dead. And it's that oozing confidence that it's just like, it almost puts me in like a zen. I've probably, I mean, I shoot a pile of does every year. I've probably killed in the last three years, like 25 deer or so. Wow. And I've, I've the last three years, I've gone 25 for 25. I say that and I could easily screw up the next one. But my point is, is that like, once you start, having more experience you're having success even if it's with a with a doe or you know like just getting some some of that experience in your belt having a f- few successful hunts like it's going to help prepare you for when that like deer of a lifetime comes in front of you that was one of the hardest things for us personally was like we were screwing up on these huge deer yeah and it was just like <laughs> i mean just amplified the heartbreak yeah. Dude, it was devastating and you like I, we just wanted it so bad, and it just like never came easy. Like I don't think bow hunting comes easy to anybody. Well, when you're hunting in areas where you know there's these giant deer, it's like especially when you first start out, like we did. Like it's really hard to shoot the first 120 inch deer that you see when you know there's a 170 inch deer, 160 inch yeah. deer in the area, yeah. and so you're like the first 
literally the first, like the second buck I killed was 173 inches. And so I didn't have, I mean, it's my own fault, but like I should have shot 30 deer before I was kind of trying yeah. to go after the caliber deer like that. And that's, but, such a, that's such a good point about just shooting deer. Cause like, I, I know that's something that, that I've realized that I need to do more of is shooting yeah. does. Cause like, yep. and I always, I always tell myself, actually my girlfriend was asking me this question cause she's not, she's not a hunter, but she was asking me, she's like, why? She's like, you don't really ever shoot does. And I'm like, well, there's not that many in the area, you know? And, you know, I always have these things, but I'm like, honestly, if I shot more does, like it gets, it gets you in that. That's the only time you can replicate that, yeah. that actual real life experience. Cause I can shoot every day in my yard or in my basement or whatever you want to do. And that's there's not, so much more to it yeah. so much the, more than to it. being accurate. Knowing when to, yeah. when to shoot, like waiting for the right angle. When to draw. Knowing when to oh, stop yeah. the deer. Reading a deer's draw, behavior. Like, like, I mean. There's so much, so much to yeah. it. Yeah. And the, like the more that we hunt, the more encounters that we have, like the more I'm realizing how much weight is in that last 10 seconds of the hunt. Yeah. Because there's so many things that can go wrong. Yeah. We talked about that with elk hunting yeah. yesterday. Like yeah. that it's the same, it's the same deal. Yeah. But kind of, I, I guess getting back on track to the, the background for us, like that, that was kind of the beginning phase. And then like Drew said, we kind of got to that place where we were like, we should tell some of these stories. We went to ATA after a few years of filming hunts and the urban stuff was like, not, I don't want to say not a hundred percent accepted was the right word, but it was just new. I think people didn't really wow. did that on purpose. That was amazing. That's crispy. Yeah, that's pretty good. <clears throat> I don't think people really just, just for the listeners at home, he's drinking a white claw, tangerine flavored. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not a Budweiser. It's a white claw. Yeah. I thought it was mango. <clears throat> anyway, moving but on. Whatever. So, um, I think that it wasn't like, it was just new. I think people didn't really know what to think about it. We were kind of the first ones to put it out there. And, um, it was tough going for us, like kind of stepping into the space. I mean, we didn't really like set out with the ambition of like, we, yeah, we want to be in the hunting industry. It's just like, we love doing it. It kind of just was trending that way. And we kind of ran with it. We went to ATA. This is probably three years ago. I think we had $150 left in our bank account. And we were like, we got to line up some sponsors because this ain't working. Like, you know, this, we can't do this anymore. So were you guys doing this full time at the already like no like did you, uh, okay no we we both had full-time jobs okay. like just straight grinding drew was working at a home builder as with a home builder and then pulling all-nighters like banging out episodes for us when we were doing some stuff for mossy oak we lived together at the time with another yeah. college buddy of ours if you ever see me with my my hood pulled up like and i'm on the computer don't talk to me <laughs> because that's when i'm in the editing editing zone and i will yeah. sit there for freaking 10 hours straight if it takes until four in the morning, <clears throat> so we, that's, that's what it takes. Literally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, the amount of effort that went into it is it's un, unfathomable, but I don't even know if I said that word right. Words are tough for me, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, so we go to ATA and we have like 150 <laughs> <laughs> words. I'm not going to linger there. We're word so anyways, we go to ATA and it's like, we have $150. Like, Hey, we got to line up some stuff or else this is done. We didn't line up. I was going to cuss. I'm not going to. We didn't line anything up. Yeah. And you, you can cuss, by the way. It's okay, fine. cool. Well, <clears throat> we didn't line up anything. And it was like, okay, well, we're done here. And so we go back home. Or actually, no, we burned our last $150 at like a bar. We got like a nice dinner and, and like got a few drinks. And we're like, yeah, what's done is done. And then we come back and and I don't know. We just like, it was more of a calling to us, I think. Like we just kept getting pulled back into it. 
And um, there's a there's a huge faith side to all of that for for Drew and I personally. And I, there were so many times we were like, it made sense to stop, just stop. And we, you know, started the YouTube thing out. And like our first video we did on YouTube was a total disaster. We crashed our really expensive drone and with, we didn't have insurance or anything like that. So it was total loss. And then about five minutes later, we splashed our camera, our nice expensive Sony camera for $5, tripod. $5. Yeah. Fell off the back of the boat, plunged in, like tanked in the water. It was like in a matter of five minutes, it's like we just lost everything. <laughs> this is <laughs> not going. And that video got like 5,000 views and it was just like, yeah. We're probably we should probably we should probably quit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know how we thought about not quitting, and we 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 kept we should probably should just quit. Yeah, uh, now it's time. Uh, but anyways, we just I don't know. We we kept rolling with it, and um, you know when we started to focus on our own brand, on our own channels, and stop kind of like trying to please others, it really just took off for us. Um, and there was that wave of you know those original YouTube hunting channels that, that just got really popular and we were fortunate enough to be in that. But I think there was a lot of, it's just the perfect storm of a lot of things. I think people couldn't believe the deer we were killing and where we were killing them. Uh, Drew was telling the stories in a way that was just like really showing the emotion and capturing like how it really, just the rawness of it. And I think people just like really gravitated to it. And I think what we're doing is not out of reach. It's not like we're at some paid outfitter, like, you know, Hey, we're showing up, you know, maybe this deer will walk out like, and that's fine to do. Like, I'm not bashing that, but I think it was just relatable that like anybody out there can go knock on a door wherever you live in this country and get permission from someone that has five acres, thousand acres, whatever. What we were doing was not unachievable. These deer we were hunting, anybody could go hunt. They were, they were accessible by anybody. If you put in the time to go knock on doors, do the scouting, find all these deer and stuff. So it was kind of the perfect storm of a lot of things that all kind of came together um, to just kind of, you know, put us to where we are. I know it's interesting is well, one, I remember when I first found your guys' YouTube video, I think one of my buddies, I, I hunted the suburbs in college with one of my college roommates in around Pittsburgh and, and he'd killed some big deer in some of these areas. And, and he's like, you gotta check out this video. These guys are like, just this guy, you know, killing, I think you, you only had like a few, or maybe, I don't know if I only saw a few videos or whatever, but I was like, holy cow, like this. Is, and then it felt like, you know, like that you guys had just blown up from there. Yeah. But what's interesting is, you know, being someone that's kind of in the space and a little bit different, but in that space is you see the people that do well, it, when they do it well, it looks like an overnight success, but that's not what it is. You know what I mean? Not even close. So much. And, and I, and you know, like when you're talking about you with your head up sitting there editing and then, you know, <laughs> trying to figure out the, and just being obsessed with it, that's what yeah. makes it look easy. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Like you said, like it, it happened really fast for us. Yeah. And to, to be perfectly honest, like it happened so fast for us. Drew and I didn't even realize that we were kind of in the eyes of everybody in the industry that like all eyes were on us to a, to a certain extent and, and other channel, like a lot of other channels, but like we just grew so fast. We didn't really realize kind of the weight that that carries with it too. You know, we were just kind of having fun, like, and you have to be politically correct and stuff. And like, there's a responsibility on us to paint hunting in the right light. And we made mistakes kind of on the way, figuring that out. Um, but it just, it happens so fast for us. It's kind of funny. Like, you know, a, a buddy of ours 
I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say his name kind of insinuated a little bit he was like yeah you know I know there's like some channels out there that you know are buying subscribers you know from like overseas because like you know how's the channel grow that fast and I'm like a guy that's been trying to do the same thing yeah yeah and I was like I literally had no idea that you could even do that um so it's just kind of funny like it happened really fast and it took off and like you know, we couldn't believe it. The people around us were, you know, still like couldn't really believe it either. Just, it just but kind of exploded. On the contrary to that, like, and we, we were just talking about before we started recording people that are trying to start podcasts. And, and you said like, if you don't have a specific niche, yeah, there's almost, it's almost too saturated. Just jump into it and kind of do the same thing everyone else is doing. Like there were years and years of us figuring out how to hunt and kill these big urban deer and that in itself, like that, that was very difficult. And that, that should be put in the timeline. You know, it looks like, it looks like, okay, your YouTube channel might've grown in what, three years you said you guys have been doing that, which sounds like, wow, that's overnight. But before that we had, we figured this other thing out that like was a niche thing and not many people had figured out. Yeah. And so it's, if you're, if you just like, if you're an aspiring creator, you want to be on YouTube, like, you can't just jump into it and start a YouTube channel and then figure out like, okay, what's my content going to be? We spent seven, eight years perfecting the, the, the niche side of our hunting yeah. before we were like, okay, let's start filming these stories. So, I mean, that's a, that's a huge part of it that like we often ever look like we look back to the last four years of actually creating videos and getting partnerships and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, hold on a second. Like we've been doing this for 16 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a lot that's gone into this. No, so. for sure. No, that's, it's true. And and one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm obviously kind of skipping some steps here, but like, it, it seems like now, well, it doesn't seem like it is now becoming even harder for creators like you guys and anybody else that's doing it with the whole censorship. I mean, you guys were mm-hmm. at the front of YouTube's kind of, uh, I don't even know how how I want to put it, but like, Boom. yeah, like, of like yeah, like just hit. <clears throat> you guys got hit pretty hard with the whole YouTube censorship. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That no, yeah, that that part. That's yeah. the lane you were going down. Yeah, I'm going down yeah. that that spot of it. I was yeah. kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but um. So do you want to describe that a little bit and kind of tell? I I had I had uh Brad Luttrell from Go Wild on. He was talking about it. He does a lot of research on these other on YouTube and yeah. all these different things and. But I know you guys were the first ones I saw that had had that happen to them yeah. where you were demonetized. What's crazy, I was listening to uh, a Rogan podcast a couple weeks ago. It was his most recent one with Steve Rinella. And he brought, he, I think Rogan brought it up. He was like, he asked Rinella if he had heard of like these hunting channels that have been recently censored. And I think he was indirectly talking about us and maybe one other channel that got demonetized randomly. Man, if Joe Rogan would have name dropped us. Oh, yeah. Oh. I mean... Oh. Retirement immediately, right? Yeah. Opportunity, <laughs> Joe. If you hear this, yeah, he lessens this off. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, Lee was more on kind of the front, the front lines of the whole demonetization thing. But it it just totally came out of the blue. Like one day we logged into the account, and I think Lee was the first one that saw it. But it just said that we had zero revenue over the last like couple Literally days. Literally, no warning. No emails, no notifications, nothing. From and we YouTube. had never had any videos like demonetized before that. 
I mean, maybe for like a song copyright issue, but never for like, you know, graphic content or anything like that. It was like, we had a pretty much a clean record. You know, most other channels have had those, you know, red, you know, red flags demonetized on individual videos, but ours clean record. And then at the snap of finger, it was like entire channel gone. And from our business, like that is, we rely on ad revenue from YouTube to run our business and be able to do this full time. So like, that's, that's not a lighthearted, like that's, that's a big deal Yeah. Uh, for us. And essentially what it was, was they had made some updated guidelines and, um, you know, I, they don't even, I don't think they even really know who did it. But these people that are in charge of kind of like, you know, going through all this stuff and enforcing these guidelines or whatever, I think took it to kind of extreme measures. And to be honest with you, I think it's just how YouTube is, their mindset on hunting and just kind of their position of, you know, politically, their stance on a lot of things. It's not favorable to the outdoor industry. And they kind of, these people, whoever it was within YouTube, like just saw our channel and was like, oh, this, you know, breaks all these guidelines that we've just incorporated, boom, done. And then it happened to several other channels. And so, you know, we're still trying to figure that out. We, we honestly like don't have it hundred percent figured out because there are still guidelines out there that clearly state like no processing of an animal, like, you know, no you can't, uh, suffering of an animal you whatsoever. Can't show the, it says in a roundabout <clears throat> way, it says you can't show the kill shot. Yeah. Yeah. The whole the weirdest okay, the weirdest thing about the whole thing was we got to monetize, no communication from YouTube. We posted about it on our Instagram, stirred up the whole bunch of like comments and stuff, rallied the the troops rallied behind us and were like, you know, screw YouTube, like they can't just censor whatever content they don't believe in, like they can't just, you know, be swayed by these corporations and po- political beliefs and stuff. And so YouTube actually some guy from the monetization department from YouTube reached out to a buddy of ours that has another larger channel than ours. And was like, Hey, like I saw what's going on with you and seek one. Just wanted to let you know, like this was a mistake. I'm looking into it. I'm going to try to get it resolved. So maybe a week later we log in channels monetized again. Everything's back to normal. But and, the, he, and he said he was like he's like outdoor content brings YouTube tons and tons yeah. of revenue. Like you guys are a huge asset to YouTube, but I still feel like stuff is still hanging in the balance. Yeah. of like which way is this going to go? The, yeah. the weird thing, the weird thing is like these community guidelines are posted for everyone to see on Google. Like I don't know on YouTube's whatever website and Google's website since Google owns YouTube. Um, and it very clearly says the kill shot has to be indiscernible and you cannot show the processing of the animal for, for the meat aspect or for the trophy aspect. And there was a bunch of other stuff that was into that. That's not a mistake. That doesn't get published on accident. No. And so my opinion is this guy, and I don't know this guy like personally, I didn't talk to him, so I don't want to, you know, put words in his mouth. But like, to me, it sounds like they're backpedaling once they saw kind of the outrage of our following and this other guy's following and they're buying time to figure out like, all right, talk, talking to the other, you know, coworkers at YouTube, like let's figure something out here because we don't want to completely lose the, the hunting community. Yeah. But I think it's inevitable that we go back to like all of hunting content getting censored in one way or another. 
Yeah, and, and that's it's it's so tough. So like Brad explained it well the, the, to the point that I didn't understand. Of okay, say like for some reason you guys were able to find a different way to make money on it, and you put it out there without ads. You know, you turned off the monetization thing on YouTube. Mm. It doesn't. YouTube's not going to show that to as many people, right? Because that's the, that's the biggest. That's issue. the biggest. Like that's the thing that I didn't. I didn't understand that, yeah. and, and until he told me that. But he's like, so basically, um, because YouTube makes money obviously off those ads. So mm-hmm. when you have that turned on, they want it to go out to exactly. more people because they're getting that ad yeah. revenue in, and then they're paying that portion out to you guys. And it's so like your channel. Say you were to get three hundred thousand views on this thing, it might might get half of that or less, you know, if it's not. Yeah, if no, it's, a lot less. Yeah, a lot. I, I yeah. mean, we're, we're talking to a, a channel that's much, much larger than ours. It's a fishing channel that's had that exact issue in the last few months. He went from having 500 to a million, 500,000 to a million views, you know, on some videos to like 10 to 20,000. Wow. And, you know, the rev, the, re, the ad revenue is a big part of it, especially because I, I mean, we're still like in an infancy stage. Like we need that revenue to do what we're doing. Yeah. But we can, we can figure out other ways to generate revenue, whether it's through subscription, exclusive content, merch, whatever else, sponsorships. But if YouTube starts saying like, I'm not even going to show, I'm not even going to alert your subscribers that you just posted this video. And I'm not, I'm definitely not going to show it to new viewers that aren't subscribed. That's crush Like that crushes us. That's where the that's where the problem is. Yeah. And so what we're we're tr- kind of currently going through is figuring out like okay, we we have no clue what YouTube's going to do. There's no way for us to know what they're going to do. So we need to start putting something into place where we can own that that audience and move them over to a platform that we have control of. Yeah. And we don't know what that looks like yet, but we're starting to kind of. I know Randy Newberg just built his own platform sort of deal, which the the hard part about that is like you, you have to have like a very good base to begin with, Mm -hmm. you know, and hopefully that they go over. It's harder to get new people when that comes. Oh yeah. You're not going to get any new people. Yeah. Cause it's, cause YouTube has that reach and you know, the number two search engine behind Google. Mm -hmm. So, and it just, yeah, it's, it's a, it's not as cut and dry. It's a tricky situation. Yeah, for sure. YouTube is never going to be duplicated in my opinion yeah. as far as the amount of audience on it. And at the in kind of in the same vein like we're trying to get ahead of this thing. So we don't want YouTube to all of a sudden be like, "All right, hunting content's done. Sorry guys. Like your channel's gone or we're not showing your videos to anybody." But we also don't like if that happens, we don't want all these different hunting channels to go separate directions and and spread out the audience and pull them in all different ways. And they have to go to a paid subscription model to 15 different channels that they want to watch. So it's like, we got to, we got to band together as a, a hunting community and as creators and figure out like, what is the next step? Yeah. What's, what's a temporary solution and what's the permanent solution in case YouTube does say, screw you guys. Yeah. So it's tricky. It is. It definitely is. I've got two things. <clears throat> I feel like we're are we we're, we're wrapping up. Okay, yeah. I got two things. All right. First one's simple. I would like to encourage everybody out there to go knock on a door. There's only a one in ten thousand chance you'll get shot. <laughs> I like these odds. Those are good odds. Second thing, I have a question. Yeah, it's gonna tell me everything I need to know about you. Okay. 
It has nothing to do with hunting. Yeah. So let's see. All right. Here, go <clears> ahead. <throat> Would you rather... would you rather take a bare-fisted mike tyson punch to the face yeah maybe he uppercuts you maybe he you know i don't know punches you in the temple whatever unpredictable bare mike tyson in his prime not as he is yeah or would you rather take a tiger woods driver actually no driver shaft so long shaft but a sand wedge head Full swing to the shin. Would you rather take a barefooted Mike Tyson punch to the face or Tiger Woods taking a sand wedge and hitting you in the shin as hard as he possibly can? Mike Tyson punch to the face. You are an idiot. That's the worst answer ever. <laughs> you told me everything I need to know about you. I don't know anything about golfing. So I don't know what a sand wedge is. I can, I, I, the people that give me that answer, I don't understand. I will never see eye to eye with you ever on this i just i don't understand <laughs> it's metal it's idiotic what are you talking you're gonna take a bare-fisted mike tyson punch to the face yeah you would die i'm quick there's like a no no no, no. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, gotta take you it right you have to take you it. you don't have a mustache so how that's hell true you that's he may overcut you in the gym in no the he won't dude so much cushioning though with Does that he, mustache? It, here's the all right best case scenario severe brain damage for the rest of your life that's i best case scenario I've been hit before. Not by Mike Tyson with a bare fist in his prime. If he uppercuts you, I think that your skull detaches from your spine and you die. <laughs> <laughs> Do we just end it there? <laughs> and I think if he punches you in the t- I think you die too. I mean, maybe he's, he fractured your skull. You take a shot to the shin, yeah, it's going to hurt. Maybe you lose your leg, but you're alive. You can remember your name the next day. That's one punch. It's getting hit by a car one time. No, it's not the same. It, dude, it, it only takes one thing to kill you. I'm I, best case scenario: severe brain damage for the rest of your life. In this podcast, it has no. a whole different vibe after this. Wait a minute. You know, you know. I, I just wanted to know. I was curious. I, I, I I'm know, thinking about I, that I the know. entire time that we've been talking. About now, now we're not friends, and no one's ever going to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, you guys definitely need to have your own podcast. Lee, Lee, Lee has a good job of hosting. He kind of like he has a good way of like taking control and running directions with some of these things. So I have another I, question. God. Oh god! Yeah, you have permission to ask it. <laughs> do, you, do you want me to ask it? Yeah. You seen the movie Titanic? Yeah. All right. At the end of the movie, you have Jack and you got Rose. They're you know trying to get on this table, right? This floating table. Yeah. Do you think there's room enough for the both of them? Or do you think that Jack, that Rose is being selfish and kicked Jack off? Do you, th- do you think Jack should have lived? No. Thank you. You just saved our friendship with that. <laughs> no. So you're saying they both couldn't have fit on the table? No. Okay. I, okay. Okay. We're good. I oh, agree with you. Are we friends again? We're friends again. Can we hang out? <laughs> yeah, we can hang out. All right. I'll draw another people who th- The people who think <laughs> they could have both fit on that table is so stupid to me. So dumb. I don't. I don't. Even, I don't want to be friends with. When people was the last people. time you watched Titanic? Well, I got into an argument. About I had a, this. It took me a minute to remember. <laughs> it's like fifteen years. <laughs> I got into a heated argument about this at a wedding like a month ago, and I had to go back and rewatch the movie just to make sure I was correct in my opinion. All four hours of it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I did watch the whole movie. Yeah, these guys work real hard on sequels. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, anyways, thank you guys for coming on and and honest. Everyone, go check out. Seek one, YouTube, 
uh, Instagram. What Another else can question. people check out? Oh, God. What's that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm done with you. <laughs> what else can people check out? Anything else that you want to mention? You guys got an online course out there? Yeah, just did a, a master class doing a little, like a, a deep dive into every single detail of what we do. So something we've kept extremely close to our chest is the whole permission getting process, what we say. Um, so we did a course on that and literally everything else. Uh, the venison project we're working on right now. Um, extremely similar to the, to hunters for the hungry. If you guys are familiar with that, just trying to like put a purpose behind what we're doing. Um, yeah. there's so much need for, for food and there's so many homeless in these cities that we're hunting. Um, we decided to create something similar to hunters of the hungry, but, but keep it faith-based. So kind of launching that this year. Um, other than that, I think that's, that's it. Uh, we got a lot of, we, we got a lot of irons in the fire right now, but yeah, we do. I think we're a little, little early before we start talking about that stuff. So All right. maybe next time, maybe next time, next year's vet. I don't song. know if, Oh, Drew, you might be able to come back on. Yeah, yeah, Lee's. I mean, Lee's probably kicked off Sequin at this point, but that's we got an open you spot. Me though, off the podcast. <laughs> I just got kicked out of Sequin and this podcast. <laughs> you yeah. want to get a nipple for your next white claw? You might want to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with you. <laughs> no, thank you guys for coming on. I I really do appreciate it, and uh, yeah, we'll enjoy the guys are starting to come back in here at camp. So I hope someone killed something. Yeah. With all these mustaches, like all these rut stashes <laughs> rut running stash. around, there's got to be something on the yeah, ground. Yeah, if not, I'm getting out of here quick. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.